0: We don't see most petitions as a hugely consequential tool for advocacy. We see it primarily as a way to find uh, a large group of people who care passionately about a particular issue and want to hear more from an organization or campaign that also cares about that issue. So it's a great way to kind of get a big group of people to raise their hand and say, yes, I, I care about this, I want more. So you can follow up with them and ask them to do harder and more meaningful things. Hello,
1: this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My returning guest today is Josh Nelson, a longtime practitioner of digital advocacy who, when we last spoke, had founded the email list rental business Juggernaut. Since then, he's folded Juggernaut into a new enterprise called Civic Shout, which uses online petitions to get people to opt into the email lists of partnering nonprofits. Those nonprofits, or some political campaigns, can then reach out to these supporters and raise money. Josh maintains that lists of people connected with causes in this way are superior to those sold by competing vendors who sell email addresses or phone numbers of donors acquired by other methods, often without their permission. Josh is very knowledgeable about this space. If you're interested in online communications, you should listen. So, after a quick word from our sponsor, my interview with Josh Nelson at Civic Shout.
0: Josh,
1: you've been on the show before, back in September 2021, so we don't have to go through your biography in any detail, but could you introduce yourself and remind people who you are and what sort of stuff you work on?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, First, thanks for having me on again, Nathaniel. I I really appreciate it. My name is Josh Nelson. I am the CEO of Civic Shout. Civic Shout is a platform for opt-in, email, and SMS acquisition. What that means is that we help Democratic campaigns, progressive nonprofits, labor unions, organizations like that acquire opt-in email and SMS supporters. Before that, I had co-founded a company called the Juggernaut Project, which we spoke about at length the last time I was on the podcast. The Juggernaut Project is a list rental and digital advertising company. Before that, I spent about 10 years at Credo Mobile slash Credo Action, where I was a vice president. I was kind of came up through the ranks there as a campaign manager, communications director, deputy political director, and then as, as vice president and co-director of Credo Action. And prior to that, most of my career was in the environmental movement, doing digital organizing for groups like the Alliance for Climate Protection and the National Wildlife Federation.
1: Seems familiar. You're kind of outspoken and known in the space now, I think. I see you're speaking here and there and on LinkedIn and and things like that. So probably to some listeners, a known commodity to others, maybe less so. But tell me the founding story of Civic Shout.
0: So Civic Shout was uh, originally founded by a gentleman named Elliot Golden. And Elliot had worked in, in the startup world, had worked in the corporate world. He's an artist. And he was one of these many, many Americans who was shocked and outraged when Donald Trump was elected and became very active politically at that time. So in 2017, he decided to put his engineering and design and startup skills to work for the greater good. So he started Civic Show. It went through various iterations. Uh, It was doing letter campaigns to Congress. It was doing Facebook ads and Facebook Messenger bots. There was some email acquisition tied into it at various points. He had sort of put that to the side and gone back to his consulting work Uh, When he and I connected in late 2020, when we were introduced by uh, a a colleague of ours, Uh, he he and I started talking at that time, realized there were a lot of shared interests, realized there was potentially a lot of synergy there. I was at the Juggernaut Project at the time. We had talks for a while. The Juggernaut Project at one point thought about trying to acquire Civic Shout, didn't end up going in that direction. Elliot and I then started working together in 2021, And decided to sort of take the existing code base that Civic Shout had, um, put our heads together, come up with a way to re-envision what Civic Shout was and turn it into, you know, what it is today, the platform for email and SMS acquisition.
1: Was there much value in that code base and in what he'd done before to what you're doing now?
0: There was, I think he said, you know, I'm I'm not an engineer, so I, I can't probably speak to that. I definitely can't speak to it at the level of detail that he could. But he said that a lot of it did turn out to be uh, useful, converting petition forms, for example, that he had designed and, and tested a great deal. So we were able to use some of that as as he rebuilt what the product now is.
1: So tell me a little bit about those conversations that you had about like what could he do that would work that would have a functional business model that would serve the community that you're both interested in
0: when we talked uh, a few years ago i talked some about the fact that i had noticed in you know throughout my career that the existing vendors who helped organizations grow their opt-in email lists did not have sufficient capacity to meet all the demand that was out there, right? So when I was at Alliance for Climate Protection, when I was at at Credo Mobile, we had large budgets for opt-in email acquisition and we could not even spend our entire budget, right? We could not spend it with the the vendors who specifically did that. We had to spend our extra budget uh, places like Facebook, which didn't work as well. So with Civic Shell, what, what Elliot was able to do and what we sort of figured out together is we developed a system with a suggested a recommended petitions carousel. So if somebody comes onto our site, they sign one petition. We then use issue tags on that petition and petitions they've signed in the past. We use other things we might know about that person to recommend other petitions they might want to sign from other organizations. That's kind of the, the key innovation is we found a much more efficient way to grow opt-in email lists while still really emphasizing that sort of you know, end user privacy and opt-in piece where the individual themselves, the potential donor, the activist, the voter is deciding which organizations they hear from.
1: To me, that sounds a bit like change.org back in the day or maybe a little bit like care 2 is that in the space of existing vendors that you might have gone to for lists that you were talking about didn't have enough capacity
0: yeah so in a lot of ways we are similar to to care2 or, or change.org i had found with both of those over the years some quality issues where the contacts you know i had acquired for that from those those vendors were not as responsive as I, as i might have liked they didn't you know open click take action donate at high enough rates for the ROI to work out. But the platforms are in some ways, you know, similar to, to what we're doing now.
1: Who else did you have in mind when you're talking about existing places for campaigns or progressive organizations or labor unions to go to, to buy emails that could be considered opt-in?
0: Yeah, so the other sort of big category beyond the platforms like care2andchange.org is the list rental companies. So, folks who maintain one or, or more large email lists send emails on behalf of their clients, encouraging people to sign up for these other lists. And so, there are a number of those. There's Daily Coast, there's Progress America, there's the Juggernaut Project, which I had co founded. There's Left Action and Democrats.com have, have done some of that over the years. And there are various others. I think the fundamental challenge with that model is that unless you develop a great number of email lists. You're relying on typically one, maybe two or three email lists to drive all of the traffic. With Civic Shouts model, um, we've gone through a couple different iterations just over the past few years. For a while, we had something called the Exchange Program, where organizations could grow their list for free in exchange for sending traffic into our site. So we were tapping into dozens of other email lists to bring traffic into our site. The end users come in, they sign a petition, we recommend other petitions they might want to sign. We've since swapped that out for an affiliate program where instead of giving away free list growth to folks who drive traffic to our site, we're just paying nonprofits, progressive organizations, folks like that to send traffic into our site. So in that way, we're not just reliant on our two large in-house email lists. We've got dozens of lists sending traffic into the site, which lets us do considerably more volume.
1: So help me understand how this works, both from the perspective of a person that goes and signs a petition and from the perspective of one of your partners that is interested in those people. Take on the the person, the signer of a petition or maybe multiple positions first. What's the experience? What can they expect? Uh, how are they being used or getting a chance to receive communications, however you want to think about it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I do not think of them uh, as being used. They're they're active participants in this in this process, and and we put all the control uh, in their hands. Unlike uh, unlike some other vendors out there, but yeah, for a petition signer, they find their way to our website typically through uh, an email send either from one of our existing lists or from one of our affiliate partners. So Daily Coast is one of our affiliate partners. Various environmental nonprofits, for example, they might send an email that says, "Sign the petition." encourage the EPA to strengthen this rule to protect endangered species, something like that. They click through to the petition, they read it. There's a headline, photo, descriptive text. There's a short form there where they fill in required fields, which are first name, last name, email address, and zip code. There's an optional field for cell phone number. Um, There's a disclaimer there saying, you know, by signing, you agree to receive updates from Civic Show. They sign that petition if they choose to. It says, thanks thanks for signing. Here are some others you might like. That's where our recommendation algorithm is kind of recommending other petitions they might want to sign. It's going to show them up to 10. Sometimes it's 0, 1, 2, 3, but could be up to 10 there. They see another petition from another organization who is one of our clients. You know, we call them partners. So that might be, you know, a democratic campaign for Senate. It might be a labor union. It might be a nonprofit. It's sort of the same thing there where there's headline, photo, descriptive text, um, we're temporarily storing their contact information because they just signed another petition, so they don't have to fill out that short form. Uh, on that one, there's going to be two buttons. One says skip, one says one-click sign. But directly underneath those, there's a some a disclaimer text and a checkbox that says, I want to receive updates from partner name, whether that's a campaign, nonprofit, etc. If they click sign... With that checkbox checked, um, the organization who sponsored that petition gets their contact information. Whether they click or sign, it's likely going to be another petition recommended to them from another organization.
1: What have you found in terms of a new visitor to your site that signs one petition? How many do they typically
0: sign? There's a huge range. I don't know the average. A good number of people don't sign any right? They come and they say, yeah, I just signed that one. I don't want to sign a bunch of petitions, right? So they might close the tab. They might hit skip on a few to see more. That's interesting. I should look at the average. I I don't know what it is. Some people love to sign them, right? And might sign five, six, seven. I think most people kind of pick and choose the issues and the organizations they're most interested in. So they might skip some, they might sign some with the checkbox unchecked, right? They just want to show their support for that cause, but they don't necessarily want to receive emails or texts from that organization. So we give them that choice with that checkbox. It'd
1: be pretty interesting to see your data on that, to to get a sense of transparently what, what are people doing? Because, and also you might have the ability to improve it. I bet if you look at it pretty carefully and you spend a lot of time tuning that, you could probably improve the number of people signing petitions. Is there any value to these petitions at all? Like as a petition in itself, outside of getting someone connected to whoever is sponsoring the petition, like do the petitions get delivered to someone? Is anyone responsive to them? Or is this mainly just a hook to connect people to an issue?
0: It varies from organization to organization. We don't see most petitions as a hugely consequential tool for advocacy. We see it primarily as a way to find uh, a large group of people who care passionately about a particular issue, or who at least care about a particular is- issue and want to hear more from an organization or campaign that also cares about that issue and is working on that issue. So it's a great way to kind of get a big group of people to raise their hand and say, "Yes, I, I care about this. I want more," so you can follow up with them and ask them to do harder and more meaningful things, whether that's donating, showing up to a protest, even submitting a public comment or calling your member of Congress. We did a lot of petitions at, at Credo Mobile, slash so Credo Action, where I spent about a decade as well. Sometimes at the at the state and local level, a petition can make a much bigger difference, right? And so, you know, I've personally emailed many petition signatures to state legislators in Wyoming and places like that, and they, they write back, I'm going to argue with you about climate change or something like that. You sometimes see petitions move the needle from an advocacy perspective at the more local level. Um, at the federal level, you know, I don't think they're they're meaningful in that sense, but they do, you know, primarily, like I said, kind of serve as a way to find that group of people so you can ask them to do something harder and more effective. We do deliver many of many of our petitions, not all, we deliver many of them. We're looking into the possibility of building some of that functionality into the platform, right? Whether delivering to Congress automatically or hopefully something more interesting than that that might be more effective, like, you know, automatically firing off a tweet that tags the target of the petition every 5,000 signatures, things like that. So we may build some of that in. Um, Many of our partner organizations who use Civic Shout to grow their email and SMS lists do deliver the petitions, leverage those in lobbying communications, leverage those in press outreach, things like that.
1: About a billion years ago at the early internet. There was a company that had an idea for government mail that people would be compensated in small amounts for receiving their mail online rather than delivered through the postal service because it would be save money for the government. And so they rigged up some technology to do that. Has it occurred to you or you ever tried the idea of compensating the people, even if it's a small amount, who do sign up to you know sign petitions and to receive emails. Uh, I kind of wonder how that would fit with the model because it might encourage more people to do it. It might fairly, if they did a lot, might be fair for them to get a buck here or there, but, but I don't know if it's workable or an idea that attracts you.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. In, in my experience, when you incentivize people to engage in, in advocacy or even just sign petitions in that sort of way, it kind of serves as a magnet for the people who who just want that incentive, who don't actually want to do the thing. So one example of that, we did stuff at Credo to try to grow our list where we would, you know, say, sign the petition and we'll send you a free sticker, F. George Bush or like whatever the sticker said. We got a bunch of people to do it and we sent a bunch of stickers out and those people, you know unsubscribed at higher rates much more quickly. And so I think we found a bunch of people that wanted the stickers that didn't want our emails. So I suspect if we tried that at Civic Shout, it would, in the short term, increase the volume of opt-ins we could deliver, and it would decrease the aggregate quality of the opt-ins we're delivering to our partners. We want to help our partner organizations find the people who really want to hear from them and who are excited to hear from them. We think that these organizations Folks who are running good email programs, good SMS programs are actually providing value to that individual. They're informed. They get opportunities to to get involved. They get invited to local events, things like that. And so we think compensation probably isn't isn't necessary or helpful uh, in that way.
1: Tell me about the partner side. It seems like anytime you have this sort of two-sided business where you have to find the people to be on the list and the people to buy them it's a little bit difficult sometimes to calibrate your growth on both sides and put efforts into attracting them tell me about what's happening on the partner side and how you go about that
0: yeah that's a good point it it is a real challenge for for two-sided networks we're not raising any money i don't think we ever will if we were we would probably jokingly say that we're uber for uh email opt-ins or uber for growing email lists we did a lot of thinking about that exact issue as we were getting started there's a, a great book by Andrew Chen called The Cold Start Problem. He was one of the early uh, people at, at Uber who kind of talks a lot about that challenge, right? You're starting this two-sided network from scratch and you kind of calibrate those two sides. And so they did a lot of thinking about you know, incentivizing drivers, incentivizing riders, pieces like that to kind of balance those out to get those, those hyper-local networks up and running. So for our partners, they come to us because they want to grow their email or SMS list. They sign up for an account. They Once they have an account, they can create fully branded petitions that live on our site on civicshout.com. It's got their brand colors, their logo. It's got all of their content. They choose the headline, the photo, the description, uh, everything like that. They, they choose the issue tags to put on it. They choose a post-action redirect link where folks will go. After they sign and after they go through that carousel of other petitions, as soon as they publish a petition, they land on a dashboard um, that's sort of their admin side view of what's happening with that petition. They can see their stats on it, how many petition signers they have, how many new supporters they have that aren't on their email list, uh, how many SMS opt-ins. They upload a suppression file of their existing email list to make sure they're not you know, acquiring supporters that are already on their list. We have a SHA 256 hash file generator that makes that super easy for folks to, you know, encrypt a CSV of their email address and securely upload that into our system.
1: One detailed question on that. Do you suppress people at the before asking them to sign to sign a petition for that? Or do you wait until after? Because you could imagine it would be more productive to direct them elsewhere if they're just going to be suppressed. By the organization in question.
0: Exactly. It's before. So if you're John Smith at Gmail comes to our site and John Smith at Gmail is already on Nathaniel's email list, he's never going to see Nathaniel's petition on our site. Okay. That makes um, sense. And that is a huge efficiency for us there because we're only showing petitions from groups that whose list you're not already on. Well, how do
1: you attract an organization to to actually put a petition on your site? What's the sales process for finding them? Or, I mean, you said they come to you, but usually only works that way for a small number and then you got to work at it
0: yeah that's that's right we have gotten some great sort of word of mouth and kind of referral buzz we do some minimal marketing that's something we're really going to scale up next year as you mentioned, I do a lot of industry conferences, things like that. We have a you know an exhibit table at Networks Nation and we're in DC at the Campaign Tech Innovation Summit where I was on a panel and had a booth. So we do meet a lot of people that way. One thing we've done that works that's been working very well is using LinkedIn. And so we have LinkedIn Sales Navigator accounts, and then we have several people on contract who we've given them details on the type of organizations we're trying to attract. We then set up some advanced searches in Sales Navigator. So you can do a search that says, you know, give me people with these seven job titles, these seven job titles, but not these five, working at nonprofits in the United States with a budget in this range and a staff size in that range, who are second degree connections of, of me. Um, and but not first degree connections because I already know them. And so they'll go through, kind of create those lists. I'll kind of I'll go through. I'll take a second pass through those, remove the ones we don't want to reach out to. Um, we then load those into a software called Expandy, which uh, sends them a connection request with a message. Um, and if they accept that request, it'll send a follow up message. And there's a drip sequence of just a handful of messages that go out. The messages are all designed to, you know, get their attention, like see if this is something they're actually interested in, interested in learning more about. If they respond, I manually take over uh, the message and I'm trying to get them uh, to schedule a demo uh, on Zoom. So that's worked pretty well for us. We've gotten a lot of demos, a lot of new business that way and pretty good. I don't know the exact success rate, but close to ha- it's got to be close to half of the folks who do a demo end up signing up. That's, that's
1: quite good. How do you vet the organizations? Who would you turn away?
0: Yeah, so we only work with progressive nonprofits, including nonpartisan, you know, obviously five hundred and one c 3s that we think are doing good work, charities, folks like that, democratic campaigns and PACs, labor unions, and socially responsible companies. Those are broad categories and, and subjective. Ultimately, that's, that comes down to our judgment. Technically, it's, a, it's an invitation only network that you have to apply to join. You can't just sign up. You fill out a short application form that's going to include your your website. If it's an organization I'm not familiar with, which comes up sometimes, I'll research them, look into them, maybe ask around um, and decide whether or not to let them in. I've been doing this work for about 17 years. At Credo, we got to work with many, many nonprofits through our donations program. So most of the folks who apply, I already know.
1: How big are you currently in terms of number of partners and size of the lists in aggregate?
0: We just passed 400 partner organizations that we're working with. We don't disclose the list size, but I'll say that we have tens of thousands of people signing petitions on the site every day. A lot of those come from our list. Some of those come from affiliate lists, things like that. We are, you know, because our business is reliant on our email lists, we are very strict about list hygiene and deliverability, things like that. So if, if somebody has not signed a petition or at least clicked a link in one of our emails in 120 days, we unsubscribe them and stop emailing them. We don't build up seven-figure lists because we're, we're kind of removing the people who demonstrate through their, their behavior that they don't want our emails.
1: What does it cost to a partner organization to obtain 1,000 people? How do you charge
0: yeah, well uh, funny you should mention a thousand because we have for nonprofits both C3s and C4s with a list size under 500,000, we'll give them a thousand for free every month. So that's our Spark mini grant. It's one way that we give back to the progressive community. We've given away hundreds of thousands of free emails through that to probably 75 or 100 different nonprofits. In that case it's free. Our standard price for national opt-ins, people anywhere in the United States for, you know, somebody who signed your petition with first, last email zip, maybe they gave a cell phone number, maybe they didn't, about 20% due on average, um, is $1.25. And so a 1,000 of those is $1,250. We also have bulk discounts that we rolled out about nine months ago, which have been very popular. The way that works is if you are willing to commit to spending at least $19,000 and pay up front, you can get them for $1 each, a 20% discount. If you commit to spending forty nine thousand dollars and pay up front, you can get them for seventy five cents each, forty percent discount. We also have statewide geotargeting where you can just choose folks in, in you know one or more states for two dollars each.
1: How does that compare to the prices that you might obtain from Mission Wired or Grassroots Analytics or other sources of email lists for donations or, or other uses?
0: Our costs are higher because we're getting people to actually opt in. And so when you're buying a CSV of people's contact information, those people are not involved in the process. They obviously did not consent to that. They just donated to somebody else previously. You can get those for much cheaper. You know, often you hear about those for 10 cents, 25 cents, 33 cents. I've heard just a few pennies. I think sometimes you have to wonder how old are some of these lists? You know, some people are... um, I've got an email address that I haven't used in well over a decade, haven't, you know, opened it, op- haven't, you know, signed into the account, haven't donated anything like that. It's still being sold left and right by by those types of companies. I don't know exactly who's selling it. So ours do cost more, but they tend to be far more responsive, right? So you can imagine somebody who actually signed up to get your emails. They signed up today uh, to get your emails. Um, They had an opt-in checkbox check saying they wanted to receive updates from you. They're going to open, click, donate, do everything else at at much higher rates. When we were rolling out that bulk discount program, we actually did some research on that. So we talked to a couple dozen agencies uh, that work with Democratic campaigns and PACs. And we asked them, what price would our opt-ins have to be to compete on ROI with those types of, you know, spam vendors? I think we had like 18 or so conversations like that. We had a couple outliers. You know, we had some that said, oh, yours are already better at a $1.25. We had some that said, oh, they'd have to be, you know, 10 cents, things like that. But overall, the average answer was 83 cents. They said, you know, if you were 83 cents instead of a $1.25, we'd see the same ROI. And that's part of what motivated that, that $0.75 cent bulk discount price. One thing I would add on that is that in some ways, it's really easy to do a, a very basic you know, ROI comparison. I think there are other externalities, other consequences of spamming that folks doing those ROI calculations often aren't taking into account. You might harm your email deliverability and make it impossible to reach anybody by email, even the people who just came to your website and signed up or the people who, you know, saw you on TV and donated, you might get kicked off uh, NGP or another CRM for sending unsolicited spam, which every, you know, reputable CRM prohibits. Um, so there are some some costs there that, that they're not always taking into account.
1: Do you get any blowback from people who didn't really grasp that by signing a petition they were opting in for the kind of emails that then follow up through this process, or do you feel like there's a clear understanding among the people about how this all
0: transpired? We get a tiny bit of that, and so we do review when folks reply to our info at box. We do uh, read all of those, and occasionally we will see, oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize I was signing up, something like that. Um, we've tried to do. Uh, everything we can to make it apparent that that's what's happening. We've got that opt-in checkbox. When it's checked, it's bright blue. It's not in tiny font. It's directly below the sign button. It's not like hidden somewhere else at the bottom of the screen or in a privacy policy. So we we really tried to minimize that because we don't want people to accidentally sign up. We want people to intentionally sign up because they want to hear more from those organizations. I think it's pretty safe to assume that the number of complaints we hear uh, along those lines are a tiny fraction of what anyone sending unsolicited spam might hear, uh, where you probably get a ton of that. Now, of course, a lot of those folks just don't check the info app box. They kind of got their, their fingers in their ears and uh, the hands over their eyes and pretend it's not happening. Do you have any ability to get back
1: information from the people who then use the email lists that you're providing them about what's working and what's not working on an individualized basis so that you can say, okay, we forward you a thousand emails. How did it do? What did they respond to? Is that part of your model?
0: It's, that's a really good question. And it's something we've been thinking about. Um, right now, all we get back is anecdotal, right? So we'll ask, hey, how, how did that go for you? What kind of ROI are you seeing? We've had overwhelmingly positive feedback on that. The key piece of feedback we get is is just what we observe, which is that almost everybody who buys from us comes back and buys again, typically a few months later once they've had a chance to see how it's going. But they tend to see that these are fired up grassroots supporters who like to take action like to donate. We've thought some recently about ways that we could automate that, do that in a more sophisticated way. For example, it might be possible using ActBlue's webhooks to get that feedback sort of in real time as it's happening. Somebody acquires John Smith at Gmail through a petition on Civic Shout. John Smith at Gmail donates to them a week later. Theoretically, we could get that information in real time from ActBlue, and that could sort of inform our efforts. It could help us understand the quality of traffic we're getting from different affiliate partners, for example. That's something we're, we're looking at.
1: Do you distinguish right now between the phone, the cell phone numbers and the email? like? Do you sell cell phone numbers alone? Are they just sort of what you provide if they happen to be entered? What's happening on that category of information?
0: Yeah, so right now we focus on email. So you always, if you acquire a supporter through CivicShot, you always get first, last email and zip. And then the rough, roughly 20% provide their cell phone number, opt into your SMS list as well. If they do that, there's no extra cost for that. We may at some point offer... An SMS required option, we would have to build a separate hashing system for SMS as well. Um, so we, we haven't done that yet.
1: How do you see the competition developing since we last talked in this area?
0: I think other people noticed the same thing I did, which is that there was um, more demand than supply. Um, and so there are there are some new list rental companies that have come in, into the space since then, which I think is great. We don't really see ourselves as like competing with the other opt-in sources, because we want opt-ins to win the, the larger battle against spam for the sake of the Democratic Party and the progressive movement. There are always these kind of fly-by-night data vendors that pop up cycle to cycle to sell spam opt-ins. So there are several new options there. When you say
1: spam opt-ins, that can't be what you oh, sorry, mean. Sorry, sorry, yeah.
0: sorry. So just spam. Yeah, just spam. Exactly. There are a number of these co-ops where they've taken kind of the direct direct mail co-op model so the way some of these work is you become a member in exchange for that you give the people running the co-op access to your crm they are then pulling data out of there they're pulling people's contact information out of there in exchange for that you're able to buy at a low cost contact information from other co-op members so you can go and say yeah i want people who donated on an environmental cause in the past 90 days and they go across Hundreds of organizations lists pull those out for you. The cost you pay is that you're basically selling out your own members without their consent. One of those co-ops even included, they used to include something on their FAQ page. The question was like, you know, will this violate my privacy policy? And they included guidance on how you can modify your privacy privacy policy to be able to um, share people's contact info um, without their informed consent.
1: What are you looking forward as the biggest challenges for Civic Show?
0: Most of our partners right now are nonprofits. So out of those 400, you know, I'd, I'd say over, over 300 of them are nonprofits. Um, we've worked with a lot of the biggest nonprofits in the United States. And I think part of that is because nonprofits have a longer-term incentive structure than campaigns do. You know, what happens after November 6th or whatever date it is still matters if you're Feeding America or Planned Parenthood or Sierra Club, for example. It has been a continued challenge to break further into the political market where the the sort of spammy way of doing things is so entrenched. A lot of consultants or a lot of campaign managers have kind of learned to do it that way. And they're pretty committed to doing it that way. They may be doing oversimplified uh, ROI calculations that aren't taking some of the costs into account. So that's been a challenge. You know, we work with a couple dozen campaigns and packs, but that's been harder than I would have hoped. So we're going to do more of a push on that this year. But it is, it's tough when you can go out there and you know, just buy contact info for a couple cents, 10 cents, and spam people. I guess that's one challenge. The other challenge that we've, I think we've solved for the most part is just getting more traffic into the site and getting more, more unique people coming to the site and signing petitions on a day-to-day basis. As we started to get more and more traction over the past year, year and a half, we've had, you know, especially some of these larger nonprofits, their appetite for opt-in list growth is tremendous and was far greater than we could provide even with this relatively efficient way of doing it. And the exchange program we had where you could grow your list for free in exchange for driving traffic in, we determined it was not motivating enough. It was not just, it was not getting us the the volume of traffic we needed. So we just launched this affiliate program a few months ago. We did a a pilot of it with about 10 affiliate partners in, in October. And it's working quite well. The affiliates like it better. We're getting far more traffic into the site. We're doing you know about twice the volume uh, we on a day-to-day basis that, than we were a couple months ago. So that scale challenge, I think we may have cracked the code on that. And so kind of looking at 2024 as mostly about um, scale, more more marketing, better sales operation, and growing that affiliate program so those two sides of the network can grow side by side.
1: How many people working with you right now?
0: We're very small, and we plan to stay that way. So I do uh, sales, customer service, um, some marketing, and then handle like, you know, legal and, and accounting and HR to the extent we have that, um, those things in a, in a very minor way as a, as a small business. My partner and founder of Civic Shout, Elliot Golden, is our head of product. So he handles all the engineering, all the design, and he does a lot with marketing as well. We're 50-50 partners on everything. And so he's involved in, in all of the company's strategy as well, we have a couple of people who kind of write emails, target emails, things like that on contract. Elliot and I are the only two full time people. So we have you know, a couple of people that do emails, a couple of people that do like marketing prospecting, some of the LinkedIn sales navigator type stuff I mentioned. I think we're going to bring on more marketing help, probably a more senior person early next year, but probably the equivalent of three full time employees.
1: And so is it pretty lucrative then with that lean of a staff and that many clients?
0: It's, it's working well. We are putting a lot back into the business. And now that we have this affiliate program, we're paying out a great deal to our affiliates. You know, we spend much more paying our affiliates for driving traffic to the site than we do on you know, payroll or contractors.
1: You had mentioned that you had come out of Juggernaut Project, your other company. What's the status of that right now? And how does that fit with what you're up to?
0: I co-founded the Juggernaut Project with Adam Highland back in 2020. We had the opportunity to work with you know, over 100 campaigns and nonprofits, uh, mostly doing list rentals, but also doing Facebook ads. For a while, I was a partner at the Juggernaut Project and CEO at Civic Shout at the same time. Adam and I had different uh, visions for the future of the Juggernaut Project and, and where it was going. So about three months ago, actually, just um, I don't know when this is going to uh, publish, but in, in October of 2023, Civic Show acquired the Juggernaut Project, including Adam's share and my share of the company. The Juggernaut Project is now uh, operating as you know, essentially the, the list rental division. I don't know if "division" is the right the right word when we're that small, but the the sort of list rental arm of Civic Shout. So it's another big email list we have um, at our disposal, drive traffic into the Civic Shout site. And it continues to do sort of, you know, list rentals for folks who want to grow their list that way, right? They have a specific email they want to send, they want it to be their branded email with their colors on it and things like that that goes out instead of somebody just signing their petition on a site somewhere. Some organizations want to use their own landing page. Right. We have CRM integrations on Civic Shout. Right. Your your people can opt into your list and go directly into NGP, every action action network, et cetera. But some people just want traffic coming to their own landing page. For that, we use the Juggernaut project.
1: I know somebody who has a political site that gets a lot of traffic, like in the millions of people. They asked me recently how they could monetize that or use that to be more Useful. What would you advise? Like the Daily Coast has a model which is based on their traffic, right? And you partner with them. What what opportunity is there for someone who has a lot of political eyeballs uh, in whatever space they're in to maybe work with someone like you or or other vendors out there?
0: I'm biased, but I think I think we're the best option for them. I think they should sign up to be an affiliate on Civic Shout. And the way that works is. Once you become an affiliate, you have access to an affiliate portal on civicshout.com. You can log in there and you can see essentially a huge list of petitions that are available that our team has published. We add new ones every day. You can suggest your own topic or bring your own content if you want. You can then activate one of those petition links. Uh, You click the button, say activate it. It creates a uh, URL for you with a ref code on it so we can track the traffic that you've sent in. It's activated for 21 days by default, but we can extend that. If needed, you put in a post-action redirect URL where folks are going to ultimately be redirected after they've signed, gone through that carousel petitions. And then we pay out on a revenue share basis. So we pay out to the affiliates 55% of the revenue that comes in from their traffic. One nonprofit told us during the the pilot back in October, um, they raised more from our affiliate program in October than they did from their own fundraising efforts. We're already seeing it, you know, at a small scale, but we think this has the potential to be a significant source of alternative revenue generation uh, for, for nonprofits, eventually for campaigns and PACs that can, I don't think it's going to replace their fundraising, but it can be a nice supplement. One thing I do want to make a note of, because you said it was a political organization or a political site, we are working to get an advisory opinion from the FEC saying that it's okay for campaigns and PACs to do this because... You know, for somebody to be an affiliate, we have to pay them significantly more than campaign contribution limits as a payment for services. I think it's going to be fine, but we're not going to open up the affiliate program to campaigns and PACs until the FEC signs off on it.
1: What if it were CNN Politics? I just made that up. I have no connection to them, and they are getting a lot of a lot of political traffic, nonpartisan political traffic in the main. And you're affiliated with one side. Is there any way for that traffic to connect with what you do, given that it's not, uh, you know, that it might be 50 percent or 60 percent progressive people? Maybe it doesn't matter because it's the types that they have to decide to sign a petition or not. And that makes the answer for you. That's
0: the key piece. We would have to decide. We would have to think about whether or not um, I've, got some, <laughs> I've got some qualms with uh, CNN. So we'd have to decide if, if we're comfortable working with them. Um... Well,
1: Trump doesn't like them. You
0: know. Well, there you go. Maybe I should. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, to your to your point, the the petition that somebody signs itself serves as a great filter for the types of people we're looking to attract and the types of people our partner organizations are looking to attract. So you know, we had until until yesterday we had a, an affiliate petition that was getting lots of traffic, saying you know disqualify Trump from the ballot in Colorado, um, you know that sort of thing. It worked. Republicans, yeah, exactly. A Republican's not going to sign that. Uh, Moderates not going to sign that, probably. And so we try to design the petitions to kind of serve as that filter, so people are self-selecting in. And then, you know, if it was CNN Politics, they're probably not going to just put a link on their page that says that just says "sign this petition" or "click here." They're going to specify on that link. You know, it's a, it's a article about, you know, the Colorado Supreme Court decision or whatever. That link is going to say, sign the petition to disqualify Trump from the Colorado ballot. Republicans probably aren't even going to click that thing unless it's to give them fodder to complain about, you know, the liberal media bias over at CNN.
1: What else would you like people to know about Civic Shout that we haven't touched on?
0: We've touched on a lot of it. One big thing is that we care a lot about the future of digital fundraising and the future of of digital advocacy that progressive groups are doing. I've emphasized this sort of opt-in nature of our service and and the fact that we want to put end users in control of their own experience. We want them to decide which organizations and campaigns they're hearing from, but not have some consultant make that decision on their behalf. We think about it that way for a few reasons. We think it's the right thing to do. We think that, you know, as, as Democrats and progressives, we respect people's privacy And so we should probably run our campaigns and organizations in ways that respect people's privacy as well. We also think about it that way because there's some evidence that donors and activists and voters are just tired of being spammed and scammed.
1: Maybe, but when I've talked to people about the evidence, it still seems like very often the more you send, the more money you raise.
0: So it's it's a collective action problem. We did some polling after the election.
1: I'm sure people would say they don't want to get the emails, but they may still donate if they get the sixth one or whatever.
0: Yeah. So what what you're measuring there, though, is the aggregate response. So we're getting we're getting fewer. And this comes out in Act Blue's data as well that they release every quarter. We're, we're seeing fewer and fewer donors that are giving more. There is some actual evidence in in the ActBlue data that we are driving away some of the donors. And so there are some people who have, they've gotten one too many spam emails or texts. They've gotten one too many deceptive, like borderline fraudulent emails or texts from democratic campaigns. And they've decided, I'm not going to donate online anymore. People are sort of are, are opting out of that process, even if they never opted in in the first place. You can always buy a bunch of lists and spam a bunch of people relentlessly and, you know, use, use deceptive tactics. You can always get a bunch of people to donate. What you're not measuring is the people you're alienating, the people who are less likely to donate, less likely to volunteer, uh, less enthusiastic, less civically engaged as a result of that. And that's the big, big sort of silent majority of people who don't respond to those spam emails and texts.
1: What's the opt out process say that i sign up i sign a couple positions can i go to your site and look at what i've opted into is it just like click at the bottom of an email do i get something saying opt out of just this one or is there something to opt out of everything what's the process for getting out of your clutches should you want to
0: yeah. Yeah. So if you're on our list uh, or any of our lists, as soon as you join and, you know, we only email you if you signed up, uh, as soon as you sign up, you get a welcome email says what we're about says, Hey, if this is not for you, click here to unsubscribe, right? It's not buried at the bottom. It's like, it's right here, just unsubscribe. And then every email we send has prominent unsubscribe links. We have a giant button that says unsubscribe because we don't want to email people who don't want our emails. If you came to civicshout.com, signed up for, you know some campaign, or state parties email list, that relationship is then at that point between you and them. It's outside of our control. We have no ability to unsubscribe you from somebody else's list. If it came to our attention that one of our partner organizations was sending emails without an unsubscribe link, right, which they have, you know, their CRM probably would require, if they were not honoring unsubscribe lists, Um, or even if they were just sending, um, you know, terrible emails designed to manipulate people and sort of berate them, we would stop working with that organization. That hasn't been a problem yet, but we always look out for things like that.
1: I think, Josh, that's about all my questions. Is there anything else you want to say?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say big, big picture. I remain concerned, as I was uh, a few years ago, that the way Democratic campaigns and PACs in particular run their email programs, not all of them, but some of them, is driving donors away and, and putting the long-term viability of email at risk. I don't know uh, if it's going to be this cycle or next cycle, but I, I fear that if things don't change, we're, we're going to hit a, a tipping point. An aggregate online fundraising uh, is, is going to plateau and decline. Um, you, can, you can only treat people badly for, for so long before they stop coming back uh, and donating. Last thing I'd say is that I really appreciate your podcast I think it's wonderful. I've listened to probably 50 plus episodes. uh, And I I think it's just a a great gift to the Democratic Party, to the progressive movement uh, and to entrepreneurs. So uh, if somebody is listening for the first time because of this episode, I'd encourage you to to go back through the catalog and and listen some more.
1: You're 50 out of like 900, pushing a thousand. So I guess that's pretty good. I often wonder like how people decide which of the episodes to listen to when the catalog is so big. And maybe it's something I need to work on is like how to surface the content that is most valuable to people. But I appreciate that you are a listener and I hope we get to talk again down the road.
0: Excellent. That's, that's a, that's a great idea to to think about. Yeah. How to categorize those or bring back, I know you did some while you were on break that brought back some old ones. So I listened to like James Rucker, you know, an old friend who I hadn't, I hadn't listened to that one before. I mean, um,
1: the, there is a site at greatbattlefield.com where you can search on a lot of different things. I do welcome suggestions from anybody uh, and at gmail.com will get you to me and suggestions for guests, suggestions for topics or suggestions for how to improve things. So Thanks for opening the door to that. Absolutely. That was Josh Nelson. Josh is at civicshout.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.